Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. So, good morning. My name is Justin and I am one of the pastors on staff here. And today I have the opportunity to start a new series for us called Five Great Prayers for Lent. And just in case the term Lent is new to you, it's not talking about belly button Lent. It's not lentils. It is a word in which we use to talk about a season of 40 days uh, where we consider the 40 days Jesus was in the wilderness, uh, where he fasted, was tempted, and right before he began his public ministry. Uh, And this season has been in practice for the church since around roughly the 4th century. And furthermore, during this time, Christians are called to self-examination, fasting, abstaining, and to prayer. And as you can tell, I've been abstaining from haircuts because I have a bird's nest on my head today. Uh, But this year, as we've prayed through the series and sought uh, what prayers we wanted to present and learn from, uh, it's our hope that these five prayers will be beneficial to you. As Pastor Kevin said this past week in his email, for some of us to deepen our prayer lives, it may mean beginning a new habit of prayer. We may set aside time daily to share our hopes, our joys, our fears, and our frustrations with God. And for others, it may mean exploring a new practice of prayer and devoting ourselves to a particular subject that the Lord has laid on our hearts. Whatever deepening your prayer life looks like in this season, I hope and pray that we are transformed over the next several weeks as we look at these biblical prayers. So now, before we get into our prayer for the day, I want to take us back to the early 1990s. Early December 1992, in fact, At a round dinner table sat a young boy who was furiously flipping through a book with a marker in hand, circling, checkmarking, and yes, I'm left-handed, so it's backward checks. We we can talk about that later. later. Uh, But marking up this book, but it was no ordinary book. It was the Sears Wish Book for Christmas, (laughs) the holy grail of catalogs. So growing up, Every kid that I knew looked at this catalog. They marked everything that they wanted for Christmas. They remembered the page numbers. They remembered the descriptions of each of their items. They knew exactly what size and what the Ninja Turtle pajamas were. They wanted radio-controlled airplanes, G.I. Joes, Lego sets, Barbie. Everything was in this book. And I sat at that table And I circled and I marked up that catalog because for me, those pages articulated every deep desire that I had. I thought that those toys would fill the desires that I had. And because I can look back and I remember exactly what I was thinking, I now laugh about it. But in a certain way, I imagine you're probably the same. Whatever it was, it was a catalog or a wish list. This desire 
was a, cur- uh, a carefully curated list to represent the things that you deeply and most desperately wanted. Why would you not make a list? And really, truth be told, I'm the same way today. I have a list of things that I deeply desire, but they're completely different than what they used to be. Although, if I could find Ninja Turtle pajamas in my size, I would wear them. Uh, But um, I don't really make Christmas lists quite like that, but there is, again, that list of requests. Each day, I take my list of requests to God. I ask him to give me the things my heart desperately wants. And again, I imagine in certain ways, you're the same. And so today, we're going to look at a woman in the Old Testament that poured her heart out to God, making known her deepest desires in life, asking God to fulfill her desires. And the reason we're going to look at her is because it's a part of the human condition. We have these deep desires, these things that we desperately want, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but we want them. And as Christians, we make them known to God. And so if you have your Bible, turn to to 1 Samuel chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, You may remember about a year ago, we were in a series called Imperfect. And we walked through some of the imperfect leaders that Israel had by highlighting stories in the book of Judges. As one commentator wrote, these judges were like a cross mixture between a mayor, a marshal, a prophet, and a general. God endowed them with certain qualities and identified them in various ways, and being those he had chosen to lead his people. This leadership sometimes involved military command. This is important because we're still at that point in the history of Israel. There was no king. Based on context clues in the history that we know, we can safely assume and safely estimate that the book of 1 Samuel opens up around the year 1120 B.C. And when the book of 1 Samuel begins, we're introduced to three people. The first is Elkanah. The second is his first wife, Hannah. And the third is his second wife, Peninnah. We're also told that Peninnah has children, but Hannah does not. It seems likely that Elkanah married Hannah first, but because she did not have children, he married uh, Peninnah to produce heirs. This is not the first time we've seen something like this. You may remember the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar back in Genesis. But the story we're here for today focuses on Hannah. We're told in verse 3 of 1 Samuel 1 that every year, Elkanah would go to worship and sacrifice the Lord at Shiloh. Again, at this time, the Israelites were in the land that was promised to them, but the temple had not yet been built. So Shiloh was where the tabernacle was. That's where Israelites would go and worship and offer sacrifices. Elkanah would bring along his wives with him as he went. And we soon find out that his second wife had disdain for his first Peninnah would tease and harass Hannah because she did not have any children. The text even tells us that Peninnah was Hannah's rival and that she would provoke Hannah in order to irritate her. 
And I'll be honest, she does not seem like a nice woman. And we also see that Elkanah noticed this. And during the sacrificial meals in Shiloh, he would give Hannah a double portion. The text states that he loved her. And it might also imply that, again, she was his favorite wife. And we even see where she seeks, he seeks to comfort her in verse 8. He asks her why she's weeping and then tries to help her by saying that he should mean more to her than ten sons. And as I've reflected on this passage this week, I can see where I've done similar things to my wife. In an effort to comfort and encourage her, I say things that are very well-intentioned, but they fall really short. And Elkanah was doing something that was well-intentioned. He's seeking to comfort his wife. But Hannah had this deep desire for a child, and no matter how good her husband was, he's not going to be able to fulfill that desire she had. And honestly, there's no person that will ever fulfill our desires other than Christ Jesus himself. But for Hannah, she deeply, deeply desires a son. And so that brings us to Hannah's first prayer. And so we read in verse 9 of 1 Samuel chapter 1. And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Verse 19. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked from him, I have asked for him from the Lord. In this section, we are given a peek into her heart as she prays a prayer that is honest and raw. Hannah, Hannah's prayer reveals what she deeply desires. And and she desires for it to be accomplished by the Lord. And I think she models for you and I a type of prayer that we need. 
but it's also one that we need to be okay expressing without a false fear of judgment from God. And that prayer, that type of prayer, is a prayer of deep desire. The things that Hannah had deep in her heart and soul, she poured out with raw and honest emotion. We see that when she prays, she's in deep anguish and weeps bitterly. It isn't because she's angry, she's not demanding. Instead, she's conveying in words and a demeanor how her soul feels when it comes to the desire of having a child. She calls upon the Lord of hosts to give her the desires of her heart. She calls on God, asking him to look upon her misery and to remember her in his provisions. She asks that she would have a child, a son, whom she will then return to the Lord. When Hannah says that she will dedicate her son, she says that it will be for this child's entire life. Not for a day, not for a month, not for a season, not for a week at camp, but for the child's whole life. She even takes it a step further by vowing to commit this child to a Nazarite vow. As one author explains, a Nazarite is an individual who voluntarily dedicates themselves to God. Their vow, which appears in number six, has five features. It's voluntary. It can be done by men or women. It has a specific time frame. It has specific requirements and restrictions, such as not cutting their hair or touching a dead body. And at its conclusion, a sacrifice is offered. And it's interesting how Hannah makes this vow for her son. And we may remember, if, if we were here a year ago, or if you're familiar with the book of Judges, the story of Samson begins very similarly. Anyway, uh, after making this vow, we see that Hannah continued to pray. And even though that we don't have the entire wording or the entire text of her, of her prayer, we see uh, that her prayer was honest and earnest. She was not playing games with the Lord. She wasn't trying to manipulate him. She recognized that her desire could only be, be fulfilled by God. And as I sit down sometimes to pray, honestly, I find it easier to pray for others than myself. And I, I think part of that's because most of the time I know the expressed needs of other people. I can, I can spend my prayer time consumed with what you need because you've expressed it to me. But it's sitting down and praying for myself that is honestly a little more difficult. It can be for any number of reasons. It can feel selfish to pray for myself, even though it's not. Uh, it can feel like a Christmas list of I wants, which is a danger we all face. But really the main reason I find it difficult to pray for myself sometimes is because I have to go to a place with God where I am vulnerable and honest. He knows exactly what I'm going through, and he knows exactly what I need. Yet his intention is for me to exhibit a vulnerable faith so that I can pray prayers of deep desire. So how about you? Do you find it difficult to communicate your deep desires to God? Is being completely vulnerable in your faith hard for you to do? 
What is it that you are needing right now in this moment? While it can be difficult to be vulnerable, it's also what God desires for us. Warren Wiersbe, while quoting John Bunyan, said, In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Wiersbe adds, and that's the way Hannah prayed. Hannah continued to pray, and she moved her mouth, but no words came out. Have you ever done this or observed someone doing this? Or maybe you've heard them whisper a little bit, but it's not every word. Uh, For us, it might be common, maybe the first time or two. It's um, an interesting experience, but uh, it's relatively common for us. But for Eli, the high priest that we see uh, in the section that we read, he must not have been used to it because he accused poor Hannah of being drunk. And I think of Stephanie Tanner in Full House. How rude. I mean, that's, that's what Eli is doing. He, he makes a judgment and says something to her. But then Hannah, being full of faith, responds to Eli's statement by saying that she was not drunk. She was just pouring out her soul to God. She was in anguish and in grief, and that's the only way to deal with it. Can you imagine what it felt like to be Hannah in that moment? Not just to feel these things, but having to defend herself to someone else. I imagine that you do know what it feels like. Because you and I carry burdens and grief with us every day. In the last week, have you poured out your soul to God? There are people now who are full of grief and anguish because they desperately desire a child of their own. Or they have a deep desire for the health of a loved one to improve. While others are full of anguish over a breaking relationship. Church, you and I can relate to Hannah because you and I have our own desires that we desperately need God to intervene and fulfill. Every day when we don't receive what we want, it feels as if there's an Eli in our lives mocking us and questioning that desire. Eli responds to Hannah after she defends herself with a blessing. He tells her to go in peace and prays that the God of Israel would grant her what she's asked of him. Upon leaving, Hannah ate food, and the Bible says, her face was no longer downcast, meaning she's not mourning or feeling depressed. The next morning, she and her family again worshipped, and she went back home. And I think that's important for us to see as well, that after Hannah made her request known to God, after she poured her heart and soul out, she continued in her daily tasks and worshipped. It's very telling of the type of woman that she is and the people that we need to be. After we make our desires known to God, do we continue with our day-to-day lives? Or do we sit and wait, expecting immediate action? If I'm being honest, there are a lot of times 
where I would rather sit and do nothing, wanting God's blessings to just fall in my lap before I move forward, rather than continuing with my relationships and responsibilities that I have. More importantly, after I make my request known to God, am I willing to worship him while I wait? God is doing something formative in the waiting, and I need to trust him. Jackie Hill Perry says, God will somehow use my waiting as a means to grow my faith so that I could see Jesus and want Jesus and crave Jesus. After we make our desires known to God, do we find ourselves wanting and craving Jesus? The desires that we have, God wants us to bring to him. He wants us to give him the desires of our hearts. And in fact, we often hear that the Bible tells us that God wants to give us the desires of our heart. But do you know what the whole verse says? Psalm 37, 4 states, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We must delight ourselves in God and the more we do that, the more our desires align with God's will for our lives. And that's key. Our desires must align with God's will. Hannah believed that her desire to have a son was good, and she believed that that was God's will for her life. She trusted God completely with her desires. Hannah had her desires to have a a child long before the events of 1 Samuel 1. She waited and waited and waited. And the God who hears and sees and knows gave Hannah her request. She names her son because it roughly translates to heard by God. Hannah was given what her heart most deeply wanted and then she had to give him back. At the end of chapter 1, we see that when Samuel was about two or three years old, Hannah took Samuel to the same tabernacle where she had prayed just a few short years earlier. And she left Samuel there to minister to the Lord. How heart-wrenching must that have been? Hannah prayed for a son for years, yet she dedicated him to the Lord because it's God who sustained her, not the child. And so we see in the beginning of chapter 2, after she has Samuel, she dedicates him to the Lord and leaves him there. We see that it tells us in the text, beginning chapter 2, verse 1, and Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were, uh, were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she, has, she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. 
The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness for for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. You see, there's only one appropriate response to receiving from God all the desires of your heart, and that's worship. Hannah's second prayer is one of praise and thanksgiving. It's one of joy because her request has been filled. And that's the second type of prayer that we should learn to cultivate, and that's the prayer of faithful fulfillment. It is not in your faithfulness that your request was fulfilled, but it's in the faithfulness of God himself. When we pray prayers of faithful fulfillment, we are acknowledging God's faithfulness and his ability to truly and solely provide what we need. Hannah's prayer, according to Eugene Merrill, is one of the earliest and most stirring poems in the Old Testament. And in fact, we see something very similar in Mary's song in Luke chapter 1. But we see three important aspects here in Hannah's words that should inform how we pray. And the first is that Hannah exalts in God. This means that she's overjoyed and she sees God as triumphant in all that he does. The second thing that we see in her prayer is that she praises God for his attributes, such as holiness, strength, knowledge, discernment, and how he acts towards both the godly and the ungodly. And furthermore, Hannah affirms the Lord's sovereignty in human lives. And the third thing that we learn from Hannah's prayer is what she expects, how she expects God to act. Her own expectation of, of God to act is based on his character. God does not change, and it is good and right for Hannah and you and I to expect God to act in accordance to his character and attributes. Hannah prays this prayer because God rightly deserves to be praised. She teaches us what it looks like to praise God when he provides. And the more we can cultivate a posture of praying prayers of faithful fulfillment, the more we can grow in spiritual maturity and we can help others as they are waiting patiently on their deep desires to be fulfilled by God. But I would not be doing my job if I don't offer a word of sympathy and hope. For many of us, we can clearly see where we have prayed prayers of deep desire and faithful fulfillment. We have prayed and prayed and prayed, and when those prayers were answered, we rejoiced and praised God. And I'm, I truly am happy for you, and I'm thankful that you've had that experience. But for others of us, we're caught between the prayers of deep desire, and we're still waiting on God to provide those answers. We're fortunate enough to see how quickly it happened for Hannah, but that's not always true in our lives. So what do we do when we're stuck between the two? And I truly empathize with you. I know what it's like 
to pray for something. And to never receive it. And I know what it's like to pray. And it's answered in a different way. And that can be devastating. And so here's what scripture has taught me. I have two pieces of advice when you're caught between the two. The first is lament. Let God know your pain, your frustration, your need, and you tell him it is not okay. Be raw, be earthy, be vulnerable with him. And honestly, when you do that, that is praying those prayers of deep desire. So continue doing that, lamenting, trusting that the Lord is good and will act, waiting on him. But the second thing that we need to know when we're caught between the two, and it goes along with lament, as we trust God, do it in the context of his people. Be honest with them that you're hurting and that you're seeking God's provision and that you're waiting and waiting and just tired. Romans 12, 15 tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. When we feel like we have deep desires that are not being met, weep about it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We welcome that honesty. We welcome the opportunity to pray with others as they pray these prayers of deep desire and as others are waiting. And the good news is Jesus is able to sympathize with you. He truly fulfills every one of your needs. He has accomplished for you and I all that we need and all that we could never do for ourselves. Most importantly, he brings us from death to life. He is the one that makes it possible. So, if you have not come to the point in your life where you've trusted Jesus, every other desire that you have right now will fail you. If you have not trusted Jesus, now is the time to do so. He's ready. He's willing. His greatest desire is for you to trust him. And he truly will fulfill your greatest needs. But for those of us who have already trusted and turned to Jesus, what are we to do with these two types of prayer? Well, we're not meant to read Hannah's prayer or her story And then just leave them on the pages of scripture. We're meant to see how we can learn to embody them as we walk with God. So, as we find ourselves in the season of Lent, and as I mentioned, Pastor Kevin and the staff really desires that throughout this series we learn new ways to pray. That it it begins to to form or reform our, our prayer habits. Let me give you these words of encouragement. One, for prayers of deep desire, set time aside at least once a week and take inventory of what your deepest desires are at that moment. Write them down in a journal, on your phone, in a planner, on your hand, and partner with God, asking him to reveal what your deepest desires are if you're struggling with that. Then commit to praying, being vulnerable and honest with God about these desires. I encourage you to do this every day throughout the season of Lent. And when it comes to your family and friends, 
Check in with them as well. Ask them what they're praying about and how they're trusting God with their deep desires. Remind yourself and them that your greatest satisfaction comes in a God that will never fail or let you down. And for prayers of faithful fulfillment, create a portfolio of praise. Just like an artist, an architect, and teachers who keep a portfolio of the things that they've created and accomplished, create a portfolio of things that God has provided and given to you. You might want to start in the New Testament and write everything down that Scripture tells you that is yours in Christ Jesus. Then write down the things that you've experienced. Take these things and turn them into a prayer of faithful fulfillment where you praise God for all the things that he has provided you. And make this a regular activity, updating it often. Not only can you praise God, but if you share it, others can praise God alongside of you. This is an activity that I've kept up off and on for several years now. There are moments that some of those things are, are silly and goofy. Uh, I had coffee with a church member. The Lord has provided yet another meal. Uh, but then there are other things. The Lord has provided a job. The Lord has provided an opportunity to minister to those who are hurting. The Lord has provided comfort in my waiting. Taking your portfolio of praise and turning it into a prayer of faithful fulfillment can be a wonderful and beautiful practice. And then finally, engage in both types of prayer and community. Both in life group, if you're a part of a life group, and on Sunday mornings. We have a, a prayer room where you can do that, but you don't need a room. Meet with people. Stand out in the foyer and share your deepest desires and what you're praising God for. And pray right there. Praying together will be a helpful practice for all of us. And I truly know that God is good and he is faithful. And I know that one day he will make all things right. Until then, let us regularly give God our deepest desires and trust him to faithfully fulfill every desire we have. Let us pray, church. Oh, loving and gracious God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you desire to give us the desires of our hearts. May the desires of our hearts align with your will and be glorifying to you. Father, for my sisters and brothers here this morning who continue to pray prayers of deep desire and they're waiting Holy Spirit, would you comfort them? Would you encourage them? Would your word show them your character and your care for them? May we be aware of our deep desires. May we give up any desires that are not glorifying to you, that are not beneficial for our formation and our transformation into Christ-likeness. And for the desires that we have, that we submit to you, Lord God, would you answer those desires quickly?
But as we wait, may we wait with our brothers and sisters. And God, for everything that we have received, may we then in turn return it to you with a prayer of faithful fulfillment. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your story. Thank you for desiring a relationship with us. May we look at everything that you have given us. May we cultivate a portfolio of praise, whether in word or in our hearts. God, and may we praise you every single day. May we praise you with the breath that is in our lungs. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these men and women who desire to know you, to worship you, and to be transformed into the image and likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray this week as we, desire, as we pray prayers of deep desire and faithful fulfillment that you would encourage and sustain these people. May the rest of our time and may my words and the meditations of my heart have been pleasing and acceptable and glorifying to you, Lord Jesus. We love you and we pray all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen.